As the demand for telemedicine grows, so does the need for connectivity. 5G meets that need. Qualcomm remains focused on giving doctors and patients superior, security-rich 5G connectivity. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash inventionage. What's up? I'm your host, Anna Kasparian. You're watching No Filter. And if you're podcasting, you're listening to No Filter. And as always, I encourage you to leave a rating, hopefully a five-star rating, although I do see some salty comments in there as of late. It's okay. Some of you have some great constructive criticism. And as always, I'm super appreciative of that. Uh, it is my job to do better by you and make sure that I improve as this show goes along. But with that said, later in the program today, we are gonna talk about something that I'm very passionate about, and that is is the housing market. Did you know that millennials have no interest in buying homes? Yeah, neither did I. Uh, there was some misleading reporting coming from the New York Post, and I'm going to dig into that story and more later on. But since the Brett Kavanaugh story continues developing and evolving, we are gonna start the show with that topic. So let's get started. Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, the professor who accused Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh of attempted rape when he was 17, has agreed to testify in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee on Thursday of this week. She and her attorneys backed down from demands that the FBI investigate her allegations as a first step in addressing her claims. But now, Senate Democrats, including ranking Judiciary Committee member Dianne Feinstein, are calling for the postponement of the hearing following additional sexual assault allegations against Kavanaugh by another woman who went to Yale with the Supreme Court pick. Feinstein is calling on the FBI to look into claims made not only by Dr. Blasey, but also allegations by Deborah Ramirez, whose accusations are outlined by Ronan Farrow in a recent piece for The New Yorker. Ramirez alleges that Kavanaugh had exposed himself at a drunken dormitory party, thrust his penis in her face, and caused her to touch it without her consent as she pushed him away. According to Farrow's reporting, Senate Republicans knew about these allegations last week, and their reaction was to rush Dr. Blasey's hearing and Kavanaugh's confirmation as quickly as possible. Much of the debate around Dr. Blasey's attempted rape allegations is centered on whether she's telling the truth. The Republican narrative has premature, prematurely determined that this whole debacle is a politically driven attempt to derail a conservative judge's confirmation. So if their minds are already made up, why would Dr. Blasey agree to testify in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee if she knows she's about to get hounded by right-wing senators who have a giant political incentive to slander her as a liar? And look, I'm not just assuming that Republicans have made up their minds. Senator Lindsey Graham made it clear that nothing Dr. Blasey says will tarnish his support for Kavanaugh. I'm being honest with you and everybody else. What do you expect me to do? You can't bring it in a criminal court. You would never sue civilly. You couldn't even get a warrant. What am I supposed to do? Go ahead and ruin this guy's life based on an accusation. I don't know when it happened. I don't know where it happened. And everybody named in regard to being there said it didn't happen. I'm just being honest. Unless there's something more, no, I'm not going to ruin uh, uh, Judge Kavanaugh's life over this. As we all know, Dr. Blasey isn't calling for a criminal investigation by the FBI, but rather an investigation to see if there is corroborating information to back up her claims. But as we also know, this is something that Senate Republicans like Lindsey Graham don't want. 
And what about the president? Well, Trump managed to display surprising self-control for several days after the attempted rape allegations dominated headlines. But last Friday, he just couldn't help himself and tweeted, quote, I have no doubt that if the attack on Dr. Ford was as bad as she says, charges would have been immediately filed with local law enforcement authorities by either her or her loving parents. I ask that she bring those filings forward so that we can learn date, time, and place. So far, some members of Trump's base are happily buying into that framing. As a woman, I think it's horrible that she would bring this up 35, 36 years later. If she was really assaulted, she should have reported at the time. By waiting this length of time, she makes all women look bad. What do you think about the statistics that say only 23% of 23% of sexual assaults are reported at the time? Like, why do you think that is? Well, I've seen enough episodes of Law & Order SVU that that's probably correct. Not really. The proposed FBI involvement would mean a more thorough background check that could possibly get to the heart of the truth. And that's all people like me really want. Otherwise, the hearing on this matter would just boil down to Dr. Blasey's word against Kavanaugh's. So could it be that Republicans are refusing the investigation in order to rely on the her word against his narrative to get Kavanaugh confirmed? TYT reporter Emma Viglin went to a Trump rally in Springfield, Missouri, and it seems as though that talking point was a hit among the president's base. It's just his word against hers, and she, I'm sure she's making it up. I hate to say that, but I think she is. Most men, most men are, are, are very compassionate towards women on something like that, and uh, women aren't. Um, what? <laughs> but what if the allegations are proven to be true? Does that change anything in the minds of Trump's conservative base? So you think that they're making it up or she's making oh, yeah, it up? Totally, and it doesn't matter even if she isn't. Statute of limitations was over years ago. But yeah, so it, it does it matter that her therapist notes corroborate kind of her accusations from 2012? Not really. You heard that right. Even if Dr. Blasey is telling the truth, the Trump supporter you just heard from is comfortable with Kavanaugh serving as a judge in the highest court in America after committing a serious crime. Trump voters don't actually care about victims of sexual assault, especially when their political agenda is on the line. While I think it is unfair to use that one quote to generalize what all Trump supporters think, I do think it's fair to examine how they've responded to various times Trump or his allies have been accused of sexual misconduct. Trump's candidacy and presidency have been riddled with this issue. As we all know, the examples predate election day when the notorious Access Hollywood pussy grabbing tape became public. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just like, I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. I can do anything. So after Trump supporters learned of that tape, most stood by his side and defended him. 538 reported that a morning consult Politico poll conducted the day after the video's release found that 74% believed party officials should continue to support their nominee. That number includes Republican women. 73% of them said the party should still back Trump. Shortly after the Access Hollywood tape, several women came forward accusing Trump of sexual assault. He responded to the allegations by saying they're fame-hungry liars who just aren't attractive enough to be victims of his unwanted advances. And he came to me and started kissing me open-mouthed as he was pulling me towards him. 
I pushed his chest to put space between us, and I said, come on, man, get real. He repeated my words back to me, get real, as he began thrusting his genitals. Trump branded Zervos and the five other women who this week have accused him of assaulting them spotlight-hungry liars. Some are doing it for probably a little fame. They get some free fame. It's a total setup. He attempted to discredit a woman who told the New York Times this week Trump tried to grope her on a plane in the 1980s. She would not be my first choice, that I can tell you. Trump managed to emerge from that controversy unscathed. When the president backed former district attorney and accused child molester Roy Moore in Alabama's Senate race, his base still stood by his side and made sure to trash the women who alleged the sexual misconduct. 40 years ago in Alabama, there's a lot of mamas and daddies that'd be thrilled that their 14-year-old was getting hit on by a district attorney. I dated an older man at 16, so we don't really- How old was he? 31. I'm not gonna say that the 14 year old, uh, that's, I don't believe her to be honest, the one that said she was 14, I don't believe her. Um, but for all of us as a woman, I think we've pretty much all been in the situation where there's been a sexual harassment. You heard her, they've all experienced it, so that must be okay. And if that's not enough evidence proving that Trump and his base don't care about the safety of women, I have another example. Remember White House aide Rob Porter? He had to resign after two, two of his ex-wives disclosed that he was physically abusive. A photo of his ex-wife Colby Holderness with a black eye even went viral. Trump's reaction was one of sympathy for Porter rather than the victim of domestic violence. Thanks, guys. Well, we wish him well. He worked very hard. I found out about it recently and I was surprised by it. But we certainly wish him well. It's a uh, obviously tough time for him. He did a very good job when he was in the White House. Uh, and we hope he has a wonderful career and hopefully he will have a great career ahead of him. That's right. Politics over the safety and well being of women is a common theme among the right wing in the Trump era. But would they react the same way if the shoe were on the other foot? Trump certainly didn't give Democrats who were accused of abuse the benefit of the doubt. President Trump has repeatedly declined to answer questions about Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore. But on Twitter, he was full of outrage over allegations of sexual harassment by Democratic Senator Al Franken. The Al Frankenstein picture is really bad, the president wrote. Democrats condemned Franken, and he was eventually forced to resign. But the same can't be said of Republicans, because if the accused identify as members of the right, conservatives will back them regardless of what the allegations are, even if there are minors involved. Circling back to Dr. Blasey, remember that she and the Democrats are accused of playing dirty political tricks to derail Kavanaugh's chances of landing a lifetime appointment as a Supreme Court justice. But if we just take a moment to reflect on recent history and the actions of the Trump White House, these dirty games seem to be played by one side, and it's not the Democrats. We'll be right back. Welcome back to No Filter. 
While news coverage would have you believe that America's economy has fully recovered from its collapse in 2008, many millennials are still struggling to catch up. And guess what? It's not because they're spending too much money on avocado toast or refusing to grow up. The median home price in big cities like Los Angeles is quickly approaching the $1 million mark. Considering the fact that it's recommended to fork over 20% for a down payment, it's nearly impossible for the area's young professionals to secure a home. That means that a potential buyer would need to save at least $200,000 in cash, and that doesn't even include closing costs or money for inevitable home repairs. How is this very real problem being written about in the press? Well, I just recently came across a headline in the New York Post. And uh, the title made me crazy. It says, unlike millennials, Gen Z wants to buy homes. Okay, like just, oh, okay, take a second to think about the framing here. First, it makes it seem as though millennials don't want to own property. Secondly, to add insult to injury, they're being compared to a group that was born after 1995 to really highlight the false stereotype that millennials are irresponsible and immature. Look, further investigation shows that the New York Post is basing its headline off of one survey and an article published in MarketWatch. The survey, which was conducted by Property Shark, indicates that 83% uh, of Gen Z plan on buying a home within the next five years. Yeah, that's it. Again, Gen Z includes people who were born after 1995, meaning that they're 23 years old or younger. I'm pretty sure that almost Everyone, regardless of which generation they were born into, thought that they would buy a home within five years when they were 23. I certainly thought that as well. When any article or survey makes declarative statements about anyone, it's healthy to question it. Turns out there's data that conflicts with Property Shark's findings. What we are very encouraged about right now is the millennials, that first-time home buyer. By a recent uh, survey by Trulia, basically says that 86% now say they want to buy a house, 35% say they want to buy a house this year. That's a big shift in what it was last five years and encouraging for the housing market. You know, some of the latest. To be fair, there was one thing that the Property Shark survey was correct about. It found that millennials are more realistic about their means and the most pessimistic about the prospect of home ownership. Maybe instead of assuming millennials don't want to purchase homes, it might make more sense to look into why they're so pessimistic about the prospect of home ownership. Some of the research that we've done shows that the number one thing 70% of millennials cite as their biggest obstacle is saving for a down payment. In New York City, those down payments can easily push six figures. Overall, in New York City, we generally see people put down 20 to 30%. Uh, a lot of times it can go above that 20% threshold. Depends on your co-op board, can depend on your condo, uh, can depend on your bank and your personal credit situation. That's tough to come up with when you're still dealing with college bills. Paying down a lot of student debt is a big challenge for millennials as well. But that doesn't necessarily mean that millennials are renters who will never buy. A lot of them are just taking their time. The research shows us that millennials have spent, uh, have waited longer to to buy homes, but they've also waited longer to have kids, to start families to get married and things like that. So what we see now is the millennial generation starting to catch up with other generations in terms of both buying homes and in terms of getting married and settling down. In other words, millennials are trying to be responsible. They're waiting until they accumulate some money so they can responsibly move forward with buying a home or establishing a family. 
According to CNBC, millennials finally began entering the housing market in huge numbers last year in 2017, only to find a critical shortage of homes for sale and fast rising home prices. Bidding wars became the norm and young potential buyers from coast to coast were often priced out. Lack of inventory is driving up housing prices, which of course negatively impacts everyone in the middle class, not just millennials. Part of the problem is that investors swoop in and purchase homes for the sole purpose of renting them out. Fox Business has more on this. One of the biggest things that came out uh, this week was uh, in the Wall Street Journal, they were talking about how institutional investors are going out and gobbling homes and then they're renting them out because they're saying certain uh, families now just wanna be renters. What is your thought in that sentiment? So, I mean, that's true. I think that we just came out this month that rents hit an all-time high, averaging around uh, $1,400 nationally right now. So that sentiment is very true, coupled with a staggering fact that a lot of the uh, houses that were bid on in 2017, 35% of them were bid on without somebody actually physically going to look at the house to make that first offer. So it's very consistent right now. And they still, and with rents that high, it's a good economic play for large hedge funds or investors. Right, housing affordability continues to be a huge issue in America and it goes beyond home ownership. For anyone making minimum wage, there is literally no place in America where that low pay can afford you a two bedroom apartment. Our press should do a better job exploring and examining what the real underlying issues are rather than brushing people off as lazy or juvenile. Millennials aren't stupid. We know that one of the quickest ways to build wealth is to own property. We also know that financial stability means not having to adjust costs based on the whims of a landlord. Let's address the underlying economic factors because reporting on one random survey is lazy and irresponsible to say the least. We'll be right back. Welcome back. All right, I'm about to talk about my favorite things, but before I do, I wanna talk about something I actually hate. On every episode of No Filter, I usually rush to thank everyone in the last minute before I get cut off. So I'm actually gonna do it now so these people don't get screwed over later, okay? So special thanks to all the crew, all the producers that helped make this show possible. Skip Falaco, Ja'Cory Palmer, Bart Kyle, Annie Lilyholm, Edwin Umanya, Arthur Agure. Uh, I always have a tough time with his name, but I hope I did right by him this time. Dan Evans, Brett Ehrlich, and by the way, these guys are so incredible, they work so hard, and when you leave me a five-star rating, you're not just leaving me a five-star rating, you're leaving it for all the people who put their blood, sweat, and tears into this show. All right, with that said, uh, let's do our last segment. In The Sound of Music, Julie Andrews sings a song about her favorite things, but they were like rainbow drops and kittens and stuff. Those things are stupid. My favorite things are way better than hers. So far, my favorite ad for the midterm elections comes from Arizona's fourth congressional district. It stars the brothers and sisters of incumbent Paul Gosar. In case you haven't heard of him, Gosar was one of the loudest voices in the birther movement. Usually when a candidate's family makes a public endorsement, it's not that big of a deal. But in this ad, Gosar's siblings publicly endorse his opponent. I couldn't be quiet any longer, nor should any of us be. 
we got to stand up for our good name. This is not who we are. It's intervention time. And intervention time means that you go to vote and you go to vote Paul out. My name is Tim Gosar. My name is Jennifer Gosar. Gaston Gosar. Joan Gosar. Grace Gosar. David Gosar. Paul Gosar is my brother. My brother. My brother. And I endorse Dr. Brill. Dr. Brill. Dr. Brill. And I wholeheartedly endorse Dr. David Brill for Congress. I'm Dr. David Brill, and I approve this message. Oh yeah, I'm sure you do, Dr. David Brill. Man, that is dramatic. Six of Gosar's brothers and sisters endorsed Brill. Six, six of them. I've seen smaller interventions on the show Intervention. Gosar is truly one of the worst people in Congress. I mean it. He said that Charlottesville was a left-wing conspiracy. He boycotted the Pope's visit, not on religious grounds, but because the Pope believes in climate change. He's truly a piece of trash, as you'll see from the way he responded to his siblings on Twitter. He claimed these disgruntled Hillary supporters, spelled with three Ps, are Related by blood to me, but like leftists everywhere, they put political ideology before family. Stalin would be proud. I guess this is a step forward. At least he didn't ask to see their birth certificates, but he's not done. He also tweeted, we all have crazy aunts and relatives, etc., and my family is no different. Dude, when half a dozen family members single you out, that makes you the crazy relative. Anyway, moving on, thank you so much for watching the show. I hope you guys enjoyed the program. And as always, I encourage you to leave a rating if you are listening on a podcast platform, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and a bunch of other platforms that we're on, but I wasn't aware of until fairly recently. A good friend and colleague of mine, John Idarola, also has a fantastic show called The Damage Report. So I encourage you to check that out as well. But Leave me more ratings than you leave him because we're competing with one another when it comes to the rating thing, okay? Anyway, again, special thanks to the crew that watches this show. And on next week's episode, I do wanna take some time to address some of the comments that you guys have left in the ratings on iTunes. There were a few critics and as I said earlier, I do take you very seriously and I do appreciate the constructive criticism. Love you guys, have an excellent weekend and we'll see you next week for another edition of no filter.